From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for uh, March 2nd, 2020. First podcast of March in 2020, the day after the Honda Classic. Um, and we welcome in the co-founder and senior writer of The Stiffed Shaft, thestiffshaft.com and The Stiff Shaft on Twitter, Dan Hauser, who was out at PGA National this past week, covering and watching the Honda Classic. Good morning, Dan. Welcome to the, uh, welcome back to Teeing It Up. How you doing? I am fine. Nice to have you with us. Um, let's start here. You live in Jupiter. Um, you're around this weather all year long. You are around PJ National, have been there before, obviously, as a fan, as a media member, whatever the case may be. So as... You sat there and, and started watching play on Thursday and watching how this unfolded. I don't remember PJ National playing this um, tough in a long time. And I think the stat came out from the PGA Tour last night, first time since 96 that nobody shot under 5-under for the whole week. Uh, sorry, more than 5-under for the whole week um, at a non-major. And it, it just really, I mean, it looked hard, which I think... Just PGA National always plays hard. The Bear Trap played hard, but some really easy holes were giving some guys a ton of fits, and that's what I think stood out to me most. What 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 resonated most with you? So it's interesting because in years past, the course has is played really tough, and it's. I mean, obviously, you know, as we've seen in as we see in the Florida swing every year, this time of year is the, is our windy season here in Florida, so you get the wind whipping on courses down here, and you know it they can it can pose a challenge, um, but it seemed to be in years past that the biggest defense PGA National had going for it, other than the wind, which, like I said, pretty much every course down here has, was the fact that the rough was always really, really thick. So when, when I when I learned this year that they weren't going to grow the rough out nearly as thick as, pop, as, as they had in years past, my, thir- my first thought was, was okay, we're going to see some low numbers this week. Uh, you know, we, and we're not going to see crazy low. I mean, we're not going to see somebody, you know, floating with 59 or anything, but 64, 65, 66, you know, daily for multiple guys, I figured would not be out of the realm of possibility. Now, granted, this was several weeks ago. Then, in the couple days leading up to the tournament, as I started getting more accurate readouts of kind of what we were looking at from a forecast perspective this week, and I'm, and I'm seeing 15, 16, 17, up to 20 mile an hour winds, I'm thinking, okay, so either they didn't grow the rough out that much because they kind of anticipated it was going to be really windy, or they didn't grow the rough out thinking that we're going to get some lower scores, and now here comes the wind whipping, and it's just going to be an absolute carnage fest. And what we got, like I said, whether it was their intended purpose and they kind of knew going in, okay, that we're looking at a windy week, or we just happened to get a lot of wind with the less rough, but I'll tell you, that, that wind, I mean, it, it, if we had had the week we had had with the roughest, thickest that had been in years past, I'm confident in saying it would have basically been a U.S. Open incentive scores and where... It's already low enough to begin with. You could have you could have seen you know even higher scores and one under two under maybe winning it at most and and it just it basically turning into another U.S. Open because that wind was whipping and when that wind gets going on that course forget about it. Yeah, um, these are the weeks that I'm glad that I retired from competitive golf after high school <laughs> um, because well, it, it, it also doesn't help or whatever whatever terminology you want to use. It also plays a, a large factor that almost every single hole. At PGA National, not only is there water, but there's water in play. I mean, a lot of courses will see water. Yeah. Water isn't necessarily in play, at least not for the pros. Water 
is in play on almost every single shot for these guys. So you get the wind whipping, and you've got water on coming into play almost on every single hole. I don't care who you are, it's going to get in your head after a while, and you're going to start overthinking things, and I think that's what we saw a lot this week, and I think that's why we saw so many high scores early in the week, and we saw so many guys just not even come close to missing the cut, or making the cut. Exactly, and and look at, you know, East Lake's number one. You know, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lake you have to cross, like a really small lake, you know, on your tee shot. That's not going to be in play for any of the pros. This water is in play, basically, for the pros on 16 of the 18 holes or whatever it is. So it does have a huge, huge factor. Um, Sun JM, guys like you and I who watch golf every single week and probably spend too much of our lives watching golf every single week, um, which, I, which I can personally attest to, knew that this guy was going to win at some point. And I think the question had always been with Sun Jae-in, would he burn himself out playing all this stuff? And Dan Hicks read the stat on air yesterday. Over the last, like, 125 weeks, he played somewhere in the world, 105 of them or 108 of them. I mean, it's some absurd stat he he uh, stated. And lo and behold, best ball striker of the week and was able to get the key par saves early in the round, and then his aggressive mentality on 15 and 17 ultimately paid off in the end. But for me, it was not his ball striking because he did hit some squirrely shots early yesterday. It was the putter saving him, and then his ball striking, kicking back in the gear, and ultimately leading to the late charge and those two uh, clutch birdies in the end. Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, it was only a matter of time until he was going to win. Um, I would be lying if I said I had even had any sort of inkling that it would be this week. Um, you know, we, we do our picks every week um, on the website, and I'm not going to get too much into that because obviously my pick this week didn't, <laughs> didn't pan out very well, but uh, I didn't even consider him when I, was, when I was trying to figure out who I wanted to pick this week. If that tells you anything about where he was kind of on my radar, not overall, but just for this week in particular, um, if you had told me he was going to win somewhere in the Florida swing, I might have pegged him to win maybe on the back half of the Florida swing. And by that, I mean either at, at the players or in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, probably the players, if I had to pick one in particular, um, just because the way that course is kind of set up, set up more, uh, it puts even a bigger emphasis, I think, than, than PJ National does on, on having to hit, you know, certain shots. Uh, and obviously, you know, around the greens and whatnot. But, uh, for, forget the, forget all the other holes. The fact of the matter is what he did coming down the stretch in that bear trap yesterday when literally everyone around him was just throwing up all over themselves. <laughs> this guy is not only not throwing up all over himself, but he is playing aggressive on a part of the course where if you can just limp in at even par on those couple holes, you're ahead of the you're ahead of everybody else. And forget limping in. This guy was pin hunting on on the toughest stretch in the entire course. So. He absolutely earned it. You know, there's no. I understand that. You know, in order for him to get to where he got, Fleetwood kind of had to crumble a little bit. But I don't even look at it in that standpoint. That you know, Fleetwood choking as a result. Sung J M won. Sung J M won this golf tournament on 15 and 17 alone. And um, you know, I mean, it's it's. I'm sure, just like we talked about with Hovland when he won last week in Puerto Rico. It's, the first of, I'm sure, many to come for him. Yes, and and I'm glad you brought up Victor Hovland because for me, this is an interesting thing. Uh, oh, God, I, I should have brought this stat up before. Just 
let me just quickly find this. But this this wave of young guys that has come up. Here it is from Sean Martin. Four players aged 22 or younger won on the PGA Tour between 85 and 2000. Five players 22 or younger have won on the PGA Tour since July 2019. <laughs> this wave that has yeah. gone through is remarkable. I bet you if you go back even a little further than that and you look at the the, the uh, Jordan Spieth wave, you know, with him and JT and when all those guys came out, I mean, those guys were winning at young at, at before 21, I'm sure, as well, too. So I don't know the exact numbers and whatnot and their exact ages when they started winning, but they, it, it almost seems like since that, 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 that group or class, as we call it, came out, you know, that in Jordan Spieth class, it just seems like every year we're getting a another group of guys like that and it seems like every year the group that's coming out that year almost seems to be just as good if not better as the group that came out the year before them and it doesn't seem like there's much of any end in sight anytime soon here's what's remarkable about sun jm versus those other guys and brant packer who's the lead <clears throat> excuse me lead golf channel tournament producer does a lot of the fall events does the ncaa's augusta national women at women's amateur drive chip and putt the opposite field PGA Tour events. He said something to me last week that I thought was 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 really um, noteworthy, especially in comparison to Sun JM. Sun JM made his way the conventional way. Did it on the Corn Ferry Tour in 2018. Had a great year on the PGA Tour last year. Didn't win. Ultimately, was the Rookie of the Year. Builds himself up, and then in year two on the PGA Tour gets the victory. Wolf, Morikawa, Hovland, Jennifer Cupcho, Maria Fossey. All these people have taken advantage of, driven the Golf Channel documentary series. The fact that the NCAAs are back on television, there's cameras everywhere, and there's microphones everywhere, and they know, especially in those first couple days, especially on that last day of um uh, teams trying to make it to match play, plus the individual, that when the camera is near you, something big must be happening. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then they just translate that and everything else. And they've been able to work their way up. They're comfortable in front of cameras. They're comfortable with announcers talking to them. And lo and behold, they've come out on tour and it's like nothing changed. And I think that's the big difference from in the past where you may have been hiding and then suddenly you see a camera and a microphone and and all this stuff on course reporters show up you know down the stretch on a sunday and it's like wow i must be near the lead i must be doing something good now it's this is just nothing to me and for sun jm he did it the the conventional way for victor hovland wolf morikawa and all those other people they did it this new way and i i really think that's why this process is sped up and you go back to the jordan spieth class that that, that high school class of 2011 same thing. They basically, you know, were the tail end of the NCAAs not being on television, but Golf Channel covering them. And then lo and behold, it's blossomed into what that class has done so quickly. It's been really remarkable, Dan. Yeah, I, I was on a, uh, a podcast or a, a show, actually, a couple months back, and we, we kind of got into this topic of um, this young wave of guys coming up and, you know, how they're, they come out and there's really no... Uh, learning curve or, or learning period anymore and yeah 
20, 25 years ago, guys like Tiger and Phil were the exception to the rule in regards to we knew about them before they came on tour and they were used to cameras in their faces and they were used to large galleries and they were used to everyone following them around because they had such uh, lustrous amateur careers. But they were the exception, not the rule. I mean, you know, 20, 20 25 years ago, there was a learning curve. You know, you, you get your tour card out of college and for that first year or so, you're just like in any other profession for the most part, you're spending that first year or two just learning how to be a professional golfer from every aspect from, okay, all of a sudden now I was playing on courses where like my parents are watching me too. I've got four deep on the rope lines and there's cameras in my face and every move I'm making is, is dissected by everybody. Uh, and now, I mean, I, I, I said it, I used this term, you know, back then and I'll use it again now. These guys are pros already, basically, you know, it's, it's, Pro golf isn't pro golf anymore. It, and it, I guess it's, it's kind of kept with the times in regards to a lot of the other sports because if you look at, say, like college basketball or college football, most of these kids in college are basically pros. They're just not getting paid. So when they now go to the NBA or the NFL, unlike in just like in golf 20 years ago or so, you know, you, you sit on a bench with a clipboard for a couple of years and you basically learn how to be a pro athlete. Yep. Nobody, if you're if you're a first round draft pick in the NBA or the NFL now, you're not sitting on a bench with a clipboard. They're expecting you to play and play right away because you're basically a pro athlete in college. And now the only difference is you're actually collecting a paycheck, you know, quote unquote legally, because a lot of these guys, I'm sure, are getting the wink wink under the under the table handshakes with some money. But it's the same thing with golf now because the golf channel started covering these NCAA, um, not just the NCAA tournaments, but they're covering NCAA golf year-round now. I'm yeah. showing tournaments outside of the, of the NCAA championships as well. So now these guys are, before they even step foot on a PGA Tour golf course as pros, they are getting used to doing interviews. They are getting used to having cameras by them. They are getting used to having actual real gallery sizes. In addition, they are also getting used to playing real PGA Tour events because now that these guys, when they're in college, are, are getting more name recognition and they're kind of bigger names now it's it, the the tour is, is incentivized now and these individual pga tour events are incentivized now to give these kids um sponsors exemptions because now all of a sudden it's not like oh yeah well we just want to give one college kid a sponsor's invite so we can let him get some practice and let him learn what it's like to be on tour they're sending they're giving these kids these sponsors invites because these kids are names that are going to draw fans so, you know, when, when, when guys like Victor Hovland and Sanjay M are getting these sponsor invites a couple years ago while they're still playing in college, it's because they're going to get fans to come out there the same way Jordan Spieth gets fans to come out there, the same way Justin... Now, granted, not on the same level, but these guys are becoming household names in college, which is not only affording them the luxuries of being able to learn in college how to play professional golf, but it's also affording them the luxuries of being able to actually play real tour events while they're still in college which also helps with the learning curve even more so. Absolutely. Talking to Dan Hasron, teeing it up. He's the head of, of the Stiff Shaft and thestiffshaft.com. Um, Tommy Fleetwood, you've, you've, you've obviously seen that 18th hole 10,000 times. His natural shot shape is a draw. He tries to hit a cut, hits it in the water. In your mind, he was... His, his attitude, he said he, he didn't hear the guy who said get in the hole. That, that must have been just a microphone that NBC picked up louder that made it seem like somebody yelled something in his backswing. Both him and his caddy said they never heard it. Um, you've got a situation here where he's trying to go against his natural shot shape. And his thought was, if I bail out left, what if I don't get up and down? I would be kicking myself. I, you know, Let's just go for it. 
Um, what what was your take on that shot, and what would you have done if you were Tommy Fleetwood in that position, knowing you need Birdie for a playoff? I mean, it's pretty simple. He went for broke. He he, he had the Ricky Bobby mentality, if you're not first, you're last. So we went for first, and uh, it didn't work out for him. I mean, I, you know, you would love to say, oh, if I was in that position, I wouldn't do that. I would have gone and played it more conservative and played for the, the Birdie and hope for a playoff. But we can never really know what goes through their mind because we're ne- we're, we'll never be good enough to ever be put in that position in the first place. But, uh, you know, I just... The way I look at it is anything else in life, when the pressure is up and when you're under a lot of stress, you tend to go with what makes you most comfortable, and he didn't do that, and he paid a very big price for that, obviously, not just from a financial standpoint, but it arguably cost him his first PGA Tour win. Um, and, you know, I mean, he doesn't seem to have any regrets, which I guess is a good thing because stuff like that can haunt you for a really long time. Uh, and he seems to be already over it and moving on, which, you know, is, is good from a mental standpoint because it means that he, you know, he's, he, he's already forgotten about it and he's ready to move on and uh, he's looking forward to the next tournament at this point. It, yeah. it sounds like to me. Now, obviously, internally, he could be feeling a lot differently, but at least as far as uh, how he's, you know, talked, how he talked yesterday after the tournament, it seems that he, you know, Hey, I, I I gave it a shot. It didn't work out. On to the next week. To me, and 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 just the final thing on this. To to me, what really perplexed me was why not play a draw that started at at, at the TV tower, which is kind of halfway in that green, and just let it bleed left if it naturally bleeds left, or you know if it stays straight. Great. It, it just didn't seem to me. If you need ego, I get it. If you don't, why not just play a natural shot shape, start at the tower, and see what happens? I, I, I guess he feared hooking it left into that bunker or left of the green and, you know, doing what it's happened just, to Mackenzie right. Hughes. Either, just because, I mean, it, he basically had all Florida to his left and he had water to the right. And it, even if he hits that natural shot shape, shot shape and he starts off as a TV tower and it doesn't, turn over, the, probably the worst case scenario at that point is it's going to end up in the seats, which we saw happen a little while earlier. Right, McKenzie with uh, Hughes, Mackenzie Hughes. And then he's Hughes. going to get that drop, which, as we saw from Mackenzie Hughes, is a really good angle to the hole, and it basically takes water out of play at that point. And sure, yeah, you can have the mentality of, well, what if I don't get up and down? But you can have the mentality of, what if I don't get up and down literally on every shot you hit on every golf course you know, for your entire life. So if you're going to, if you're going to go by that theory, then you, you're basically taking, you're basically eliminating, you know, an, almost an entire facet of, of your game by worrying that you're not going to be able to get up and down. Yeah. Final thing on the, on the, on the Honda Classic at PGA National Champion Course. Mackenzie, Ben on, Daniel Berger, Lee Westwood, Brendan Steele, who gained the most from this weekend? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think they all did for different reasons. Um, I think Daniel Berger did because it's a it's hometown event, so obviously, you know, you always want to show up and, and play well in front of the hometown uh, faithful, so to say. Also, you know, kind of given his injuries and struggles that he's had lately, it was good. It, it was probably a confidence booster for him to see that he can, you know, he he's got his game still there when he needs to. Uh, Lee Westwood, obviously, at his age. Any, any week that you're going to play well is going to be a confidence boost for you as you get older. Um, you know, Mackenzie Hughes, 
I think the way he played coming down the stretch with the, the aggressive way that he played, and it actually worked out for him. Now, obviously, he didn't get the win. Once again, it's just you know, it, it's just a matter of okay. I know that when the pressure is dialed up and I need to hit this shot, I can hit it. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, that was is, is, uh, good as well for him. Uh, Brendan Steele, once again, to be in a mix on Sunday, it's just you know, it's it's another confidence boost. It's, I guess it seems to be a theme there for all these guys, but I think it, while while they all kind of get the same umbrella of confidence boost and of uh, you know just it's good you know it's good to be in that position on Sunday and know that you can do it. I think all of them uh, have different individual reasons for why it was good for them. Final thing for Dan Hauser, uh, Dan, as you sit here and and look at that GQ article uh, featuring Brooks Kepka. Um, and as somebody who lives in Jupiter and 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 knows the Jupe life mentality, he just seems like I I I don't know what to make from Brooks. I don't know. He he says he's a hundred percent, and then you know two weeks ago he says that his knee may never be a hundred percent again. He's he's a guy who's never satisfied and yet satisfied. He doesn't want to play in the Premier Golf League because he doesn't need two hundred million dollars. Um, he's doing a photo shoot where he gets a button-down shirt soaking wet in a boat. Um, I, I he fascinates me. Uh, he's hard to comprehend, and he just seems like a guy who maybe thinks that he's being misunderstood by the golf media, who thinks that he doesn't like golf when he actually loves the sport. He is a interesting person. We'll leave it at that. I just yeah, it it seems to be that depending on when you talk to him, his opinion on things can be completely different than what they were the last time you talked to him. Um, as a, as a, as far as the, I don't need to play in the Premier League because I don't need two hundred million dollars. Hey, that's fine. I mean, you know, there's other golfers that have basically come out and said that to an extent without saying it so bluntly as him. Um, I guess we can just say he's he's living his best life down here in Jupiter. Uh, he seems to be very happy with the way his life is going. Uh, he seems to be enjoying his time down here, or living here. He seems to be enjoying his life and and playing golf. Um, you know, the fact that he's come out and said, you know, that in a perfect world he would have been a baseball player. Okay, sure, but I mean, if you if you were to, you know, strap these guys to the lie detector test, especially this younger group. I mean, how many of these golfers would? probably say something, maybe not baseball, but they say in a perfect world, they'd probably rather be playing some other sport, which, hey, listen, I mean, I think it's everybody in life, it's one point or another kind of wishes they were doing something else, you know, it's just that these guys are in the public eye saying it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he is a very interesting character. He seems to almost try to create drama for himself, so people then doubt him or talk badly about him and then he turns out into fuel to win at times and then at times it does legitimately seem like he's being slighted but it's just uh, I don't know really a good way to explain what's going on in that head of, that head of his and I don't think anybody else really can either and at the same time like it sounds like he had a serious knee injury that he downplayed in the off season, and now it's like he claims it doesn't impact his swing and only impacts him when he walks, but then why couldn't he practice last year? Like, there's there's so many things that just are like, you say one thing and then you say something else the next day. And Well, and it's funny that you bring that too because it sounds very tight 
which is funny because all these guys grew up watching Tiger. So yeah, you can't help but wonder. You can't help but wonder if they, if if if, a lot, if some of these guys have kind of picked up the Tiger mentality in the Tiger way. Uh, even if they don't know they're doing it, they might be settling it subtly or subconsciously even doing it because what you just described, if you had said Tiger would said that 10 years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, absolutely, he said that 10 years ago. So it, it sounds very Tiger-esque. Yes, it does. Uh, very, very astute point from Dan Hauser, co-founder, senior writer, The Stiff Shaft, thestiffshaft.com, and at The Stiff Shaft on Twitter. Dan, thank you, uh, as always, for coming back on Teeing It Up. Thanks a lot for having me. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.